This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Continue First Samuel with looking at this godly friendship between Jonathan and David. As we've seen with this friendship, faithfulness to Almighty God is always supreme. It comes first between these men. This friendship transcends even their family relationships, with Jonathan choosing the way of fidelity to God's law over the vicious and murderous depravity of his own father. We in God's grace through Jesus Christ need this godly example of friendship to look to in Holy Scripture, to ask for and our own prayers for such friends in our lives. As John Henry Newman wrote, the love of our private friends is the only preparatory exercise for the love of all men. Do we cultivate our friendships, especially our Christian friendships with our friends? Do we use the time God gives us with our friends to cultivate such, or do we use those moments to wander off into the many distractions that we have in our day and age? All the moments we have, if you think about it together as a church, are indeed precious. In our worship as we are right now, our focus is of course on God's word written, his law, the liturgy of the word, and as we will be doing in a few moments, communing with one another around the table of the Lord. In our times together in Christian fellowship, do we cherish the moments we have? Or do we go through it like we do in much of our lives, through, in a fog, letting distractions take us away from developing a proper Christian friendship? This evening, let us continue to focus on how God, through his grace, grants us Christian friends for our help and benefit in his church. Verses 1 through 11 of our lesson in 1 Samuel contains an exchange between these two friends. It's a very dire circumstance. Coming from what we just read last week in chapter 19, where Saul, on his way to try to murder David, was literally subdued by the Spirit to prophesy for the Lord instead of killing David. We now see David on the run again. In verse 1, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? David pleads with these questions for anything that might explain this evil behavior from King Saul. His questions lean into many of the questions we ask as well when we face vengeful words and actions of others against us. All David did in his life up to this point was to obey Almighty God. David was being persecuted for righteousness' sake, suffering under 
a vicious, evil king bent on seeking to murder him, to eliminate him. It was Saul that was the guilty one. It was Saul that was sinful. When we face persecution, even if it's persecution from within the church, such questions by David are important to ask. These questions are key, if you will, in rooting out the true intent of those that are seeking vengeance against us in some way. Did I truly do something evil to you? Am I guilty of some sort of sin against you? If the answer to these questions are a no, then we know we're facing a Saul. The point of import is that we ask these hard questions, leaving it up to the Holy Spirit to help expose issues and sins in others for possible reconciliation. Verse 2 contains the reply of Jonathan to his friend David. Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. These are words of a godly friend, knowing for an absolute fact that David, his friend, was innocent. We can learn a lot in our lives with each other and how we live as Christian friends from this response. Note that Jonathan did not go into a sort of friend of Job's approach to go ad nauseum and trying to probe into David's life for areas of his life where he might be guilty through sin. No, Jonathan comforted his friend immediately. By saying far from it, Jonathan is stating very forcibly that David's fear that he did something sinful towards Saul was unfounded. And that as far as Jonathan knew, David would not die. He spoke of how close he was to his father and that his father would not hide such information from him. And as we saw last week in chapter 19, Saul indeed had gone to his son Jonathan when he was seeking David's life. After the incident where Saul prophesied at the end of chapter 19, Jonathan had not heard anything new or different to indicate murder was again on his father's mind. Verse 3 comprises David's response to Jonathan's reassuring words, but that in essence it might be a good idea here to think worst case scenario, since Saul knew of Jonathan's friendship with David. As the end of verse 3 states, there is but a step between me and death. David here needed to state where he was emotionally and physically on the run. He feared for his life. He could not take a chance with his life as the Lord's anointing, hoping when Saul saw him next in person that things would be peaceful. After stating this fear, Jonathan said the following in verse 4, Whatever you say, I will do for you. A godly friend is worth more than gold, especially when the trust is as high as we read in these words of Jonathan. We need such in our lives of the faith. Even within the church, as Saul was with David, adversaries unfortunately attack from time to time. We need friends to back us up. We need friends to remind us that our chief joy is, first of all, our standing as the children of God through Jesus Christ, and that our friends will stand with us through all that we go through, even to the point of mediating on our behalf as Jonathan did for Saul, for David. 
David then outlined a plan for Jonathan to ascertain the motives of his father. In verse 9, he reiterates that he would not hold anything back from David. He would not hide anything from his, from his friend. And then went out into the field. David said he would hide out in for three days. And in verses 12 through 17, it contains their conversation that they had in this field. It was a frank and honest conversation. They spoke of the worst case scenario of what would happen if Saul still sought the life of David. Such harsh circumstances are a test to any friendship, any relationship. Yet such circumstances, as we see with Jonathan and David, help to forge stronger bonds of love. With Job's three friends, if you think about it, in the hard times that they found Job, they went into attack mode, seeking to nitpick at everything they could try to find to blame Job in his circumstances. This is not friendship. Rather, such is the case of people liking the sound of their own voice. Such was the case of an anti-friendship, a friendship based, if you will, on a point system as Job's friends had, and not based on the friendship that Jonathan and David had, a friendship based on God's grace. For Jonathan and David, their friendship was grounded and rooted in the love of God. Verses 13 through 15 contains these beautiful words of friendship that would have done Job much better had even one of his friends used this approach. But should it please my father to do to you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off yourself or do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan clearly states he knows God favored David. Jonathan clearly stated that he would take David's side to defend him from his father. Verses 16 and 17 cements these love, this love. May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. These words and this covenant between these two warriors for God and God's people echoes what we read in the epistle in verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you think about it with how Jonathan and David treated each other and how we are to treat one another in the church, do we submit to the love of God and Christ in everything that we say and do, even to the point of placing godly friendship over and above our family relationships, especially if our family relationships demand us to sin? It saddens me the number of times I've spoken with people that are, that are tempted to uphold sinful lifestyles by family members because a close member of their family chooses to live in an open, rebellious sin. And when the person tries to still witness 
to the family member in sin through approaching them with the gospel. Other Christian family members that are in error chime in to tell the person to stop it, to leave them alone, to accept them for who they are. And when the challenges continue of bringing the gospel, sometimes you'll often hear the elder card pulled up by older family members defending sinful lifestyles with statements like, you have to respect your elders. If such is supposed to be the right way to go, then Jonathan would have respected his elder father to choose the sin of murder to join him in committing against his friend David. Instead, Jonathan made a covenant with David to honor God over man through defending the innocent from the designs of an unrepentant sinner. This is why Jesus told us the following in Matthew chapter 10. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Jesus is speaking here of the effect of the gospel upon humanity, that even families would be divided to the point of family members as it happened in the first century and second century during waves of persecution where family members would turn their, own, their Christian family members over to the government. We live in a time where it is becoming increasingly perilous for Christians to the point that the basics of the word of God, Christian morality, are now being openly rejected even by parts of the church. The result is similar to what we saw in the first century, what Jesus was speaking about in Matthew 10, of families being divided. The call of scripture is to stay faithful to Jesus Christ, faithful to his word over and against the temptations from this world to give and to sin, even if it is coming from family members. The last section in verses 18 through 23 contains the plan these two friends enacted to signal Saul's intent to David. They knew the potential for danger, so they hid David out in a field. And Jonathan had to go into the lion's den, so to speak, on behalf of his friend to find out what Saul wanted to do. As Jonathan said earlier, it sounded as if he was fearful for his own life in verse 14 where he said, If I am still alive, he is all good godly friends should do was going to put his own life on the line. His own life in defense of upholding God's word and God's anointed. God's servant David. It was the right cause, even if it meant Jonathan's life was at risk for defending his friend. The last verse speaks volumes of this relationship in God. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. The hallmark of godly friendship is that God is between friends. He binds us together in his love and grace. God brings us together and holds us together. He does this through his church, his remnant meant to care for one another through all the ups and downs of this life to face the souls of this life, the Caesars of this life that are odds with Christ. As verse 7 of our psalm states, the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. 
Next week, we'll read and meditate upon what happened next when Jonathan came to his father. In our time, Christian friendship is important, as it has been at all times. If you feel you do not have such a friendship in the Lord, seek one earnestly through prayer. Ask for God to place people in Christ in your life to foster godly friendships. If you become disconnected a bit from a Christian friend, reconnect with them through prayer, through renewing your friendship. We cannot face this world for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. We must face this world to proclaim the gospel with the church, the body of Christ, with godly friends to hold us up, to hold us accountable, and to encourage each other as we serve our King. Behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Amen.